Welcome to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson, hosted by attorneys Sean Garner and Adam Hanson. This is Life, Death, and the Law. I'm attorney Adam Hanson. I'm with my good partner in crime, Sean Garner, the other attorney in our office. And we've got Cody Beeson working the boards and pushing buttons and stuff. Before we get too far into this, we wanted to recap on something we talked about last episode, and that was Burning Man. This has become my new favorite event of all time. Hmm. And if you're not familiar with Burning Man, do you like the man? I didn't think so. Nobody does, okay? (laughs) Especially not this guy, okay? Uh I hate the man. And I want to stick it to the man any chance I get. That's why next year, come this time next year, I'm going to find myself in the northern desert of Nevada where it's nice and hot and sweaty. And I'm going to stick it to the man out there. For what, a week straight, Cody? Is that what they do? Like 10, 11 days. It could be a company retreat. It could be a company retreat. You know, make it- I'm sure our employees would love that retreat. Mm-hmm. A yeah. networking opportunity. So Burning Man is a festival that is found in the desert of Nevada every year. And I have just became aware of this just a few weeks ago. And ever since, I mean, it's been enlightening to me. And uh, I can't wait to find myself there one of these days. That's my dream. It's now on my bucket list to go to Burning Man. And I wasn't aware of this, but Cody just filled me in that I didn't realize people come, like name people come, celebrities come to present. Chris Rock was there as a comedian and other people come. You said it hasn't become quite corporate yet like other events like Coachella, for example. That's what people are, are blaming. They're saying this is the, the Coachella people have ruined the, the artsy vibe of this. Like it's an art festival, but really like art festival is just another word for like drugs in the desert. Jeez. <laughs> oh, you know, that's, that's well, what they, they're doing. They came across some problems this year. Number one, there was an environmentalist that kind of soured the mood at the very beginning. They tried to do a roadblock on a main highway. And so traffic was backed up for many, many miles. And so ultimately what happened was a, a local tribal authority policeman came through with his, his uh, truck and rammed through the, the barricade that had been placed in the middle of the road. And then he subsequently arrested people, and it's all on video, and it's actually kind of comical. We talked about this last episode, and, and Sean and I disagreed. He pulled out his weapon and, and forced them to their yeah the, to the ground at at gunpoint. I, I the, my the argument tribal, was the tribal police department yeah put down this roadblock or or got rid of it be, by using force and he had his gun out for about five seconds. Did do, do, do you uh, did you read the rest of what happened with that? Those hippies were thirteen miles off of where they should have been. So they were arguing that they were on the reservation or they were not on the reservation. It's like the reservation starts 13 miles away. Yeah, well, that's well, hippies aren't notorious map readers. <laughs> you are really wrong. <laughs> They're nomads. Sorry, go ahead with your your, your description of our, our disagreement. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, they used force, and I disagreed with you as the amount of force that ne- was needed in that scenario. You mentioned, if I understand your argument correctly, you're saying, no, there were people that were in peril because they've been sitting in these hot vehicles, which is, we being in the desert, we understand this concept. If you're in a vehicle stopped and your AC goes out or your engine stops, now it's 120, 130 maybe even 150 degrees in that vehicle, and that's yeah, life-threatening absolutely. very quickly. And so I understand your point that it was life-threatening for some individuals on that highway for a matter of hours. Not to mention there could have been medical emergencies that people were trying to get to the hospital for. And so 
your argument is, well, yeah, if, if you're going to put other people's lives in danger, then the use of force in that scenario by a, a law enforcement agent would be a deadly force. And that would be with a gun. My argument is, you know, these were, you know, you could tell by the video there, these like Cody described them. They were meandering, wandering hippies and women, you know, so they weren't very, there were guys there too. Yeah. But they were probably equal in strength to the women that were there. Not that women aren't strong. I don't want to pretend that they're not. My wife could beat me up any day of the week. But uh, these women in this particular event did not look to me to me like they weren't trained in Krav Maga or look, Karate. They were very vocal. That was their specialty, right? <laughs> That's what they're good at. Well, they were good at sitting down in the middle of the road. Yeah, I mean, it, they could nuisance. not run. If you said, hey... I need you to sprint for 40 yards. They wouldn't be, judging by their looks, they probably would not be able to make that 40-yard sprint. They would be huffing and puffing by the end of that if they could complete that. They're environmental protesters. Yeah. Yeah. You know. They don't want to create more CO2 by running fast. But they're definitely not, I can tell you right now, they're not vegetarians or vegans or that kind of stuff, just judging by their body types. (laughs) Ouch. Anyway, we've we've set the picture of this event and my my argument was listen you can tell by looking at this person they're not a real physical threat to you mm-hmm. i mean you can just see it uh, yeah other than the hundreds of vehicles that are backed up in what started out as a vehicle and turned into an oven as soon as the engine turned off and i agree with you on that but you're talking about how do you deal with this person in front of me this lady that's 320 pounds and 5 foot 3 i'm going to use a taser not only can I use, not only can I pull that out, but I can actually use that. Yeah, and it's kind of comical. And it's fun. It's kind of funny. I can't pull out a gun and just use that. I mean, come on. Right. No, I agree. So the festival. <laughs> well, that was easy. Yeah. The, the festival has. Well, if he's got a taser on hand, for sure. I mean, I think there's a lot of cool things that they could have done. I was kind of thinking through that. If um, all these. Stop oil now movements started coming to the U.S. and blocking roadways. What would be a, a cool thing that you could put on your vehicle so you could still get to work on time but not get charged with? Somebody got sued just recently because they drove slowly through one of these um, blockades and they pushed the people out of the way at like two miles an hour and the people sued them for bodily injury. Um, because they were hanging on their car when they fell off their car, you know, they scuffed their elbow or whatever. And they lost in court for that. And I thought, well, okay, I don't, they're starting to just lay down now in the road. And so you can't just kind of push them out of the way slowly. (laughs) And uh, anyway, I was, I was wondering, what could you, what could you equip your car with that you could push your way through without causing them permanent physical injury, but cause them to be fairly uncomfortable if they were to stand in the way of your car. And I was thinking if you could, like, uh, put a bunch of tasers on the front of your car, you know, like just those handheld tasers that joggers <laughs> use, you know, and then rig it up so, like, when you pushed your horn, those tasers, like, you know, lit up. Lit up like And so it's like, all right, you want to be there? Go ahead, but we're going to give you a little zap and, and see if that would push them out of the way. I thought that might be a good idea. You ought, to, you ought to tweet that or whatever you call it now, X that. What do you call that? Tweet X? I think still tweet it. Or- over to Elon Musk. I mean, those are charged with so much voltage. The Teslas, there's easily a way Oh yeah. to just make the whole exoskeleton of a Tesla just 
A taser. A taser. That would be awesome. To the touch. If you were to touch it. That would be, that would be fantastic. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of a, you've got it on your farm. You've got the electric fences. Yeah. Which I know from experience. Well, that's another it, thing I could write. <laughs> it, it, uh, it packs a punch. Well, yeah. You practiced your hurdling skills and um, didn't quite make it. I tried to hurdle one of Sean's fences once and I was confident in my mind. In my mind, my 20-year-old mind. Yeah. That was totally an easy jump, and I didn't quite make it, yeah. unfortunately, in my 40-year-old body. Oh, no. And I got a little wrapped up in the electric fence, and it's just like, poof, 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 <laughs> pulsing. Well, it was on. Oh, yeah, it was on. Yeah. That's the fun of it. <laughs> okay. So another here's some irony that came out with the Burning Man. Number one, uh, it's in the desert, so normally it's pretty dry, so all these people are going out there ready for this dry camping experience. And then um, this monsoon comes through and floods them out so they're in this big mud pit and there was a lot of um distress there was a lot of people that they were caught unaware they were unprepared and they needed help and they kind of came together as a community and helped each other out um i wasn't there so i don't know how efficient this was and i'm sure that tempers were flaring a little bit but a lot of vehicles were stuck, and a lot of people went out to help and push people out of the mud. I think that's kind of cool because the whole movement of the Burning Man is to push against the man. And I, and I don't know who the man is. I don't know how they identify the man, but I would suppose it's the the corporate elite that um, kind of runs society, and, and they're in the upper class and also potentially the government. And so these are individuals that are cooperating on a, a very individual level to make things work. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with getting government and bureaucracies in general, and there are plenty of private bureaucracies. I mean, your phone company is one of them. And um, getting rid of those so individuals can get things done. And when individuals are left to themselves, they come up with some pretty inventive ways to push forward and to continue to survive and even thrive yeah and that was the thing with these guys they really didn't reach out for any other assistance like everything was handled internally so yeah there were 70 80 thousand hippies in the desert in the mud uh-huh. and i mean you're going to a dry lake bed what do you think is going to happen when it rains yeah lake bed's going to get full <laughs> yeah but they survived so that that's a that's a positive Ironically, I, I give them props for that. Ironically, so uh, to be in the desert, it's not just hey, it's open land; we can go be there. They actually have to pay a fee to the BLM, or in other words, the man. <laughs> so it's pretty ironic, you know. Hey, we're going to exercise our our freedom to say stick it to the man, but we've got to pay the man to actually exercise our freedom. Well, you, you talk about um, government bureaucracies and how inefficient they are, like the Border Patrol right now. I have a lot of friends in the Border Patrol that they feel like their hands are tied because they're not able to actually do their job, which is to protect our border. And you have the major media outlets, on the other hand, saying the border is secure or we're doing the best we can with the resources we have. But I'll tell you what, if you try to get on a national park without paying the fee you will see how efficient bureaucracies can be. They will hunt you down to the last and make sure that fee is paid. I parked my boat at Picacho one time, and I know that there's a, there's a parking fee when you drive into Picacho Park, but I didn't realize there was, a, there was a fee if you just parked your boat along the shore. I got off to use the restroom. 
that park ranger was on me like fly on stink. And she was like, you've got to pay a fee. I'm like, I'm literally just, my, my boat's still in the river. It's, is it a fee to walk across the park? Absolutely. And apparently there was. And so I pulled whatever cash I had out of my pocket. and They shook you down. They should, yeah, they shook me down for that fee. Wow. She should have a taser. That would have been great to see you tased. Yeah. If you didn't comply. Well, we got to take a break. We'll be back with some more entertaining and uh, mind-enlightening news. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. I'm Sean Garner, and we are going to talk about what I did on Labor Day. So last Monday, we were out at the lake. Uh, Adam was out there with his family. It was a great time. There was about four or five families out there enjoying time off and um, celebrating the ability to work in this country and keep about 40 or 50% of what you work for um, due to taxes and other fees. Anyway, we were out there on Labor Day. And at the boat ramp, when I went to launch my boat, there was a, a truck down there, and, and there's typical boat etiquette that you get your boat ready to launch up in the parking lot when it's not blocking anybody else because the boat ramp is very restricted. In, in this particular place, it was Senator's Wash. There's only two boat ramps. and um, there's, One of those is the worst because there's a big mesquite tree. Like, I hate yeah, using that Right. Scene. I don't know why they don't trim that back. I think somebody individually went back there with a chainsaw and trimmed it back. But it, either way, you're right. It scratches your car, and it's very thorny. So um, this truck is parked at the one of the boat ramps at the end, just halfway into the lake, and they're blowing up their little raft city of um, tubes and literally these, these big slides that were these inflatable slides. They were down there for, I was waiting for probably 45 minutes to an hour as they're blowing up all these inflatables. And I went down to see what was going on. And they seemed like they were novice to the lake, just kind of the way they were treating the ramp and, and um, trying to get their gear off their, their vehicle. So I didn't give them too hard of a time. I didn't give them a hard time at all. I didn't say anything. And I uh, just waited my turn and then went in. The, the other vehicles were using the, the other poor ramp that's got the mesquite tree and the broken up concrete and uh they unloaded their boats quickly there was a guy single-handedly he unloaded his boat he was the only guy like he unloaded it himself this was like a 20 
24-foot boat, unloaded his boat, anchored it, swam back to shore, got back in the truck, parked his truck, and went out and took off in his boat in about a, a tenth of the time of this other truck with his family that's trying to get all set up for the lake. So I was a little bit perturbed. So anyway, I unload my boat. We go boating. We come back. The truck is there back. Now they're loading up. And um, apparently they had some problems with their jet skis. And when they were loading them, the trailer came off of the ramp. Because when you, you, you load it up, they, they left it there for a long time. And so some waves would go by. And, and they were the ones causing the waves with their jet skis, you know, just like pulling Brodies in the water right there. The waves pushed their trailer off the ramp and there's a big drop off right there so he goes to take off and he guns it while his rear tires are submerged in water and it's just peeling out and he's not going anywhere and so I drive up use the other ramp everybody's using the one ramp to pull their boats out and I wait in line and use that ramp pull my boat out and I can see he's having problems I've been there before where my trailer goes off the ramp and I get stuck and it's, it's actually counterintuitive of how you fix that problem. Number one, when the trailer's in the water, it becomes very light, especially if you strap your watercraft to it. So whether it's a jet ski or a boat, you strap it down to it, and then it makes it buoyant. And so um, I'm up there at the top, and I'm talking to my neighbor, and I said, you know, we ought to go down and help that guy. And he's like, the guy that's blocking the ramps has been blocking it all day? And I'm like, yeah, we got to help him. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He's like, yeah, okay. So we go down, and um, we're like, hold on, stop Stop peeling out here. We can move the trailer back on the ramp. And he looks at us like, this trailer is 2,000 pounds. You're going to move this trailer? I'm like, yeah, it, it, it's quite light when it's in the water. Back up further into the water and we'll move it. So he backs up. We push it onto the ramp and then he guns it again. I'm like, hold on a second. Just give it just barely enough gas. And so he starts slowly pulling out and we, we with our assistance, we push him and he gets up the ramp and he's off. So... What's the takeaway with that? I wanted to yell at the guy, right? I wanted to say, you're an idiot, and everybody's here trying to use this ramp, and you only think about yourself. You should think about the people around you. And I didn't. But um, we could use a little more patience and compassion in life. I felt good at the end of the day for helping this guy out. And in reality, not everybody understands the etiquette and they're not doing it out of malice. And so if we could take just a moment to step back from the situation, I'm like, he's got small kids. He's trying to go out and enjoy some time on the lake. He probably doesn't have a lot of experience doing it. Um, maybe the outcome will be a little bit different. So that will, it, it turned out to be a positive experience. And plus, I've been there before. I've been the guy that's hogged around just because I didn't know what I was doing trying to get my boat off my trailer. So by the end of the experience, was he cool with you and nice and you know did he understand like where he went wrong yeah so i you know we didn't exchange a lot of words we just helped him out and he gave us a wave and then he was off but um it could have been a thing where i get out there and you know give him a piece of my mind and now we're both angry or it would be like hey you know i noticed you have kids and a truck and a boat do you have an estate plan (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, have you thought about what would happen? Right. If this boating... <laughs> clearly, you, you, don't, you don't know what you're doing on the ramp. So when you get out there on the lake, chances are, you know, you might need some estate planning. Yeah. Um, no, I didn't go there. Okay. Speaking of estate planning, though, if you do want to learn more about it, we do have events coming up. They are 
at the end of this month, September 28th, at the Yuma Main Library at 10.30 in the morning, and also the very next day, September 29th, at the Foothills Library. So that's a Thursday, September 28th. They're both, no, they're both at libraries, but one's at Yuma Main Library right behind Yuma Catholic, and the other is in the Foothills, and that's at 1.30 p.m. on Friday. So if you want to learn more about what it takes to get your affairs in order. Come there. It takes the whole seminar. Uh, the presentation is about 45 minutes. People generally stick around. How long do they, they stay generally, Adam? Yeah, probably a good 30 minutes, you know, till we have to go. We usually have, we would stay longer if they allowed us to at the library, but we have to be out of there. But a uh, good 30 minutes answering questions. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about the seminars is that people stay and they ask us really good, intelligent questions. And um, we get to talk about what we love to do uh, on a daily basis, which is help families put planning in order and make sure that things are going to work if they were to become incapacitated or pass away. I had a conversation, actually, it just just came to me. Uh, Those of you that have new college students in your families, maybe you have an 18-year-old going off to college or they just went off to college, and um, you're thinking to yourself, finally, they left our nest and we don't have to deal with them. The challenge really becomes legally when they go off to college, if something were to happen to them physically, let's say, you as a parent have no rights to help them. You don't have any rights to receive information on their behalf when it comes to medical things because of HIPAA laws. So usually what we would recommend in that situation is anybody going away from the family, once they turn 18, they're on their own legally. They've automatically become an adult, and now they have to consent to a lot of different things in order for you to receive information. And sometimes that's not available. Sometimes that individual might be um, unable to give consent because of an accident. I've actually seen that happen. Um, Families have come into our office, and they had a a college-age child that had an accident and they weren't able to communicate or give HIP authorizations because they were non-communicative. And so that put them in a bind. What we would hate for that family to go through is what's called a guardianship proceeding. That's when you file a guardianship action in the local superior court. And that takes time, effort, a lot of money. And that can all be avoided if you take time ahead of time to put in place a little plan for that 18-year-old or that 19-year-old, that college-age kid that you have And that comes in the form of usually just a basic will. But more importantly, it would be a power of attorney for finances and a power of attorney for healthcare and HIPAA authorizations, things like that in the in the healthcare realm. Sean, you've seen this happen. You've you've actually sent off kids to foreign places, uh, not in Arizona, after they turn eighteen on missions for our church. And uh, when that happens, you typically will put in place this little will package is what we call it, right? Yeah, it's it's been really helpful because when they do go into the hospital and and we want to be informed on what's going on and what options they have, my daughter got uh, bit by a cat. And uh, (laughs) cats have a lot of nasty... uh, That's what they say, their mouths are are really filthy. Super, yeah, infectious. And so... Her arm swelled up, and uh, she had to go to the doctor, and we wanted to know what was going on, and so we used that healthcare power of attorney to get that uh, disclosure and keep involved on what her treatment was, what was happening. So it was, it was very helpful. Of course, that was a minor thing compared to what could happen out there, but that is an essential package that you need to have together for any child, any child that's going to go off to college or you know set off and embark on whatever adventure they're going to do. 
Along that same line, I mean, a lot of us will take a trip here and there, us parents of minor children, and especially in the fall when it starts to cool down or when prices go down on flights and things like that. And what I typically will do when we go out of out of uh, state and we leave our kids behind is I like to put in place a little power of attorney for those kids. You can actually lend authority to people you trust before you go. And um, usually what I'll do in my, in my personal family, me and my wife will sign these powers of attorney for each one of our kids. We've got six kids. And so each one would get a power of attorney that allows the caretaker that we're leaving them with to be able to take them to the doctor to deal with the school if, if something comes up at school. So basically be us a pseudo parent for the interim time that we're away. These in Arizona, they're under, easy too. under Arizona law, they can only last up to six months at a time. So you'd have to do this every six months if you wanted this to be an ongoing thing. But usually it's more of, I'm going to go out of town. I'm leaving my minor kids behind with somebody like a babysitter. And we need that babysitter to be able to take them to the doctor or to do things on their behalf at school and basically act like a parent legally while we're, while we're gone until we get back. And so you can restrict them. It, it can't be more than six months that you give this power or lend this power to the babysitter, but it can be less. So it can be like a week, the week that I'm going to be gone. I'm going to initiate these powers of attorney. So those are things that we can put in place for your family. If you're going out of town, something to think about um, so that that caretaker would have the authority that they need in the event that something happens to your kid while you're gone and uh, they're not in a pickle and they have yeah. to wait for you and then messes up your trip. I mean, let them deal with the emergency room stuff while you're off having a beautiful vacay <laughs> in Vienna. So that's some of the stuff that uh, comes about when, when thinking about planning for our families. we got to go to break. This is Life, Death, and the Law. Coming up, more thought-provoking conversations on life, death, and the law right after this. Hey, you, my Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. You're listening to Life, Death, and the Law, presented by Deason, Garner, and Hansen, the law firm that has been voted Yuma's best six years in a row. Welcome back to Life, Death, and the Law. Um, we're going to talk about the man a little bit more. And, and uh, Sean, you wanted to play this clip from Mr. Ramaswamy, your favorite go-to politician these days, who's not a politician, but threw his hat in the ring recently into the presidential race on the Republican side. And uh, he was he was on Tucker Carlson's uh, show recently, and you really enjoyed this clip because of his answer. He was actually, uh, Ramaswamy was at the Iowa State Fair, and he was approached about um, the LGBTQ plus community. And this was this is his response. And my question is, 
at what we've been talking a lot about the man and burning man and things like that and making jokes about that. But at what point does a movement or an idea become the man? That's what I want to yeah. know. Cause that's what I kind of feel like is, is the LGBTQ community has essentially become the man. I mean, they're exercising authority over my life and your life every day. And, uh, you How can't, so? How so? Because if you say something negative against them or you actually voice what you believe, which is probably in the majority opinion, then you're going to be lambasted or canceled. Is that not what the man does? Is that it holds authority or power over you and silences you? Yeah, I suppose so. I, I agree. And in fact, Vivek, uh, he, he puts it pretty succinctly. What I like so much about Vivek is he answers these questions just from the, the, the public at all these events, he's done more events than any other candidate. He speaks so well, so succinctly, that you can tell that not only has he thought these issues through, but he puts them in a way that I'd, I couldn't articulate if I had a day to compose the answer, and he does it on the spot. So let's go ahead and play that bit. I was just wondering, um, what were your opinions on the LGBTQ Well, I don't think it's one community. Really? Yeah, I mean, how could it be? Just mashed together in alphabet soup. Trans is fundamentally in tension with gay, if you ask me. But what's your opinion? I am personally a pansexual, so I was okay. just wondering what your views on same-sex couples were. I don't have a negative view of same-sex couples, but I do have a negative view of a tyranny of the minority. So, so I think that in the name of protecting against a tyranny of the majority, and there are times in this country's history where we have had a tyranny of the majority, we have now, in the name of protecting against tyranny of the majority, created a new tyranny of the minority. And I think that that's wrong. I don't think that somebody who's religious should be forced to officiate a wedding that they disagree with. I don't think somebody who is a woman who's worked really hard for her achievements should be forced to compete against a biological man in a swim competition. I don't think that somebody who's a woman that respects her bodily autonomy and dignity should be forced to change clothes in a locker room with a man. That's not freedom, that's oppression. And so I believe that we live in a country where free adults should be free to dress how they want, behave how they want, and that's fine. But you don't oppress, you don't become oppressive by foisting that on others. And that especially includes kids, because kids are the same as adults. That answer, like right off the bat, first of all, he identifies, well, it's not one community. And she goes, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, how can it be a community? You're throwing together this alphabet soup. And what he means is gay, lesbian, trans. You're assuming just because all their minority groups, they all automatically embrace one another. And that's not necessarily true. I would agree. I don't think lesbians, by and large want to hang out with gay men, right? That's the whole fact, that's the whole point of being a lesbian, is you're not hanging out with guys at all as much as you are other girls. And 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 the same goes with guys. You know, if they're gay men, they're, they may not want to hang out with lesbian women. They may, but just because of their sexual preference doesn't make them part of this nice, cozy group. And then you go a little bit further in bisexuals. So... Just because one person is a homosexual, that doesn't mean they're automatically in a clique with a bisexual individual or a, a pansexual. And I had to think a little bit about what that was. Um, bisexual, I'm like, doesn't that really pretty much cover the categories? And um, my daughter had to explain that to me. She goes, no, because there are other people that are neither male nor female. And I was like, oh, so that's why it, can't, it's, it's, it has to be more than bi because then there's more because there's more than 
two genders. So you can't just be bi and then cover every aspect. So pansexual is any gender you identify with, I'm, I, I'm opening myself up to attraction to that identified gender. That's my understanding of what a pansexual is. Is that correct? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm confused just listening to you. Okay. Come well, on, continue. I mean, I am, I'm sure you're right. Let's I, say you're right. So my, I am identified as a, a cis, white, gen, uh, straight male. Cisgender, meaning I only identify with one gender, and it's the gender that... Uh, happens to um, coincide with yeah, your birth yeah, certificate? Yeah, no, coincide with, yes, the, the my anatomy. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, so that makes me a, Prove it. a, cis, <laughs> a cisgender white male. Okay. So um, that's what I'm identifying as. Um, anyway... I think that was that was a perfect response. It's not a community. You've clumped together all these individuals, and you're now doing the complete opposite of what these individuals want to be. They want to express themselves individually as different than the social norms, and they want to be recognized as different, but you're clumping them together just because everybody... Each person that identifies as something different is now clumped together as one group. So it's not a community. So she says, fine, I'm pansexual... What do you think about same-sex marriage and relationships? And he says, well, I'm not technically against um, same-sex marriages. If anybody wants to contract to be together with another individual, regardless of their sex or sexual preference, then um, I'm okay with that. What I'm not okay with is the tyranny of the minority over the majority. And that gives her a little bit of pause. What do you mean by that? He goes, well... When the minority starts exercising um, power that puts down the, the majority of the group, just as has been done in the past with the majority over the minority, it's wrong both ways. And that's why we're in a constitutional republic. We're not in a democracy. Democracy breeds mobocracy, meaning the, the group, the majority, can um, eliminate the rights and even the property of the minority by just voting them away. But that's not what we're in. We're in a republic where rights exist, and they're the first and foremost, and then we vote for the representatives that we think are going to be in the best position to protect those rights. And so he says, I'm not, I'm not against anybody acting as they see fit in their personal life. They can be with who they like to be. They can contract to stay in a lifelong relationship with somebody of the same sex if that's what they like to be. In fact, it's in the Constitution that uh, Congress shall not impede or infringe upon individuals' rights to contract. And that's what a marriage is, is a contract to stay together with an individual. And so he says he's not against that, and I, I'm not against that either. I believe that individuals should act based on their moral beliefs, and you can't legislate morality. Adam, what's your take on that? No, I think that's right. And one of the questions that I had was in that answer, like you mentioned, and I think you articulated it a little different than he did. He said, I don't have a negative view of same-sex relationships, or I don't know if he said marriage or relationships. And... Um, I wonder, but you said, I'd have to listen to the clip again, but what I hear, hear you say is you, you said that he said that he doesn't, he's not opposed to gay marriage. And I wonder if that's a political move. I'm just curious. The, th the first thing, thought that comes to my mind is, what if you said that you were 
What opposed to gay marriage? What if a politician were to say, "I don't agree with gay marriage, and I I believe that marriage is between a man and a woman." Is that political suicide now? Well, and here's the thing. I I don't can, I don't know. I'm just asking the question. You know. Well, I'll answer it for what I believe, and then I'll answer it for what I think Vivek believes because he's actually spoken out about this. He says that the nuclear family is the best form of government known to man. He said that very specifically. And what is the nuclear family? It's a mother and a father married for life, raising children. That's what the nuclear family is. Now, if it's two dedicated fathers raising a family, dedicated to each other for life, I think that there's an argument for that. It's not my personal belief for that because my personal beliefs are rooted in Christianity and the teachings of the Bible, and so that is not what I believe. But at the same time, I I would like to think I'd be just as willing to stand up and defend the rights of two male individuals to contract to be bound together for life as I would for a man and a woman because as soon as... One person's rights are trampled upon, then that leaves open everybody's rights to be trampled upon. And so I believe it's each individual's right to contract, to be um, faithful to another individual, whether that's in business or whether that's in family. And you have to go back to your own moral grounding as to whether or not that's right or wrong. And I can have a different moral standard than another individual across the hall from me and still get along with them very well. In fact, Um, My favorite professor in law school, um, her name was Allison Connolly. She was my mentor, and she really helped me through my law school experience. My daughter is named after her, and she was outwardly homosexual. She was a lesbian. That had nothing to do with our relationship. She respected my beliefs, I respected her beliefs, and the harmony between us was so fantastic that I named my child after her. So I absolutely believe that that can coincide in harmony. I don't believe that we need to legislate issues of morality. What we need to do is uphold individual freedoms, and that's what the republic is about. So I'm going to use my counter-argument here. I'm not saying that I believe this, but I'm going to use the counter-argument going back to law school. So those that are listening in law school, it's very typical for you to say uh, the professor will give you a scenario or a case, and there's two sides to every case. And so you might raise your hand and say, well, I agree with this side here because of blah, 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 blah. And it's very common for the professor to say, okay, you agree with that side. I want you to now go to the other side and argue for them. Because as attorneys, you have to be able to argue your defense, your, your, um, client's position. Whether you agree with it or not, you have to be able to argue that. So what I'm what I'm saying here is the counter argument to what you just said was, uh, or it could be, aren't we talking about the slippery slope argument here? It's been since 2015 when the Supreme Court ruled and mandated that it be that gay marriage is legal across the United States. That was in 2015 in an IRS tax case. Prior to that, some states allowed gay marriage, some states did not. And that mandated gay marriage be recognized in every state um, from 2015 on. It hasn't, been, it hasn't been 10 years yet. And now we're into this gender identity issue 
and the LGBTQ plus community keeps growing and growing daily, not in numbers, but in acronyms and in uh, associated parts of this community like we just heard it's in not, that question. And, which it's not. It's not a community. Right. It's a bunch of individuals that but they put are, themselves and, forth as one single community. I think the I think the media puts them together as a community, and um, I don't I don't necessarily agree that a majority of individuals that are either homosexual or bisexual, however they identify, um, reach out and say, "Now I'm finally part of a community." I think they're just practicing what they feel individually. But it has become a movement, if that's what you're trying to say. And I think it's been in a rapid order. You know, not that I'm saying because of the gay marriage opinion, everything went to pot. I'm saying this really looks like the slippery slope argument that we often hear about in law school. If you do this, then it's a slippery slope and it's going to be difficult to stop it. And that's what it looks like from an exterior perspective on what's happened since 2015 in the gay marriage case, meaning the degradation of marriage and what that actually means. Yeah. I mean, at this point, so I don't what, understand the difference. Uh, this is my personal opinion now. Yeah. I don't understand the difference between gay marriage and plural marriage. Why was it such a big deal back in the late 1800s to not be able to marry more than one person. If this is a contractual agreement that we're coming into, why was that against the law? Or why did the federal government work so hard to to not allow that and yeah. put in place and persecute people when if I want to marry multiple people, why can't I do that? It is interesting. And here's my response to that. Not addressing specifically plural marriage or gay marriage or any other type of marriage I'm addressing the constitutional right to contract. That's in Article 1 of the Constitution, that Congress shall not infringe upon an individual's right to contract. A marriage is a contract. When it comes to a governmental body, it's a contract. Now, when it comes to a religious um, aspect, it's a covenant, and that that's even deeper and more binding because it's between you, the other person, and God. And I think that individuals should revere that more highly than any other promise. But a contract is the ability to say, I will do A, B, and C. I will continue to fulfill these responsibilities. And in exchange, I expect faithfulness and, and you to do your end of the bargain as well. And that goes with everything. Marriage is a contract. So I would agree that it could apply to plural marriage. It could apply to same-sex marriage. And it applies to um, traditional marriage as well between a man and a woman. The government should not actually get involved and either impede upon that or support that. That is something that is an individual right to do or not do as seen fit. Now, our society as general, we're backwards because there are, you know, pop stars that come out on Mother's Day and they, they give a Mother's Day wish to all the baby mamas out there, which can be, you know, between a couple to many. And, and society in general, like, applauds that, that they're acknowledging all the baby mothers out there that they've, they've been with, but not actually taking the additional step to be contractually bound to them through marriage. 
And I think that is sick. I think that is backwards. It's an abomination. I think that in general, society, we need to be faithful to the individuals that we're going to be procreating with. If we're going to be bringing children into the world with another individual, we need to contract with them to stay with that individual and rear that child. That child deserves a parent on both sides that is going to be faithful to their upbringing until they can reach the age where they can uh, support themselves. We got to go. This is Life, Death, and Law. We'll be back next week. If you have questions or want to know more about something that was discussed today, please call the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hanson at 928-783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com. Hey, Yuma, Dave Ramsey here. If you listen to our show or know anything about us, then you know I only recommend products and services I trust and I believe in. That's why when it comes to protecting your assets and planning for your loved one's future, you've got to call my friends Sean Garner and Adam Hansen at the law firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen. I encourage you to take the first step and attend a free, no-pressure seminar and learn all of your options. The firm of Deason, Garner, and Hansen has been educating the Yuma community for over 40 years, and this is the only area of law that they practice. Sean and Adam believe in giving free education to help people make smart decisions about their assets and help them leave a legacy for their family that they can be proud of. Schedule a free personal consultation today. Call 783-4575 or visit yumaestateplanning.com.